The title of my message today is The Great Equalizer. The Great Equalizer. Now, there are some things that every Christ follower should know. Every Christ follower should know that biblically, each generation is to teach the next generation. Batons that are to be dropped off, and sometimes they don't make it from one generation to the next. In the Bible, there are numerous stories of parents who failed to train their kids in the way they should go, and then it was lost in one or two generations, this faith that they had experienced. The last chapter of Judges is one of the greatest uh, indictments against failure to pass value from one generation to the next when it ends the, the book of Judges, after God's done all of his miracles and brought Israel into uh, across the Red Sea and into the promised land, and the nation of Israel gets to that spot, but they forgot God, and, and it says, and each person did what was right in their own eyes. And it was as if it was an indictment on society that they would begin to do whatever feels good, whatever the cultural moment tells them, and I want to tell you that we can be in danger, even within the church, of getting our cues from the society around us and then following and looking at what God says through the eyes of culture. But in reality, we need to look at the events through the biblical lens and then interpret what's happening in culture. If you don't go biblical first and you just follow wherever the culture leads you, and then you look back at the Bible, you'll actually reject the truth. You'll opt it out. It'll get too difficult. But if you look at the word of God in its totality and you lean into what God's word is saying in the Bible, in the truth, then you can interpret what's going on through God's eyes and through the lens of what really is taking place. And in no more uh, uh, subject matters this is of critical importance right now, that it has to do with how we view world events and the end of days and how we consider what's going on around us. If you follow the cues of the world and what's happening on around us, going on around us, we will begin to form um, polarized eyes, communities of thought where we're fighting people and we're angry at governments and we're ticked at other people. And we begin to follow whatever post evokes the most emotion out of people. And we can begin to follow those things. But today I want to call all generations at Emmanuel, old and young, to focus on Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven. He had three years with his disciples and then 40 days after his, his resurrection to talk to his followers about the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, according to Luke, who is the author of Acts, he used the time to speak and teach about the kingdom of God, and then he left. So I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1 and to see how Jesus handles some of the even the same dynamics that we're dealing with today with his disciples. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said all these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Then Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now the disciples wanted to know what was going to happen next. They were watching in that hour, in that moment, Hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament had already been fulfilled in Jesus. He was the Messiah. And then there was a whole lot of expectation about being the Messiah that they had about what it would mean for them. See, Israel had spent its entire history under the threat of other nations taking them out, taking them over bringing them into exile, into other nations, destroying their cities. Jerusalem destroyed and rebuilt. And so at the current moment of history that we're talking about here, that Jesus chose to show up, Israel itself was occupied by a foreign empire, the Roman Empire, under the brutal boot of all that they had brought to that nation. There was an indigenous government system, the, the Herods, that were also puppet government underneath the Romans in that area. And then there was religious leaders who didn't get along any more than religious leaders get along today. And Jesus chose to show up and present a kingdom that was far different than any of the other normal operating rules for kingdoms. And the assumption had been for the Jews all the way leading up to this moment that the Messiah would overthrow governments like the Romans and overthrow the local dictators that were brutalizing and oppressing their people. And the assumption was that the Messiah would do that. And at this point, Jesus has now died. He's been resurrected from the dead. And they're like, okay, so when is that part coming? When are we going to get that part? And this was the question that they had for Jesus. In a sense, what does this mean? Where is this leading or where is this going? This is their question. What does this mean? What's going to happen next? And I, I have to tell you today, outside of even just prophetic scripture and thinking about end times, we do that by nature. Isn't it true that when something uh, huge happens in our, in our story. It could be somebody gets in a car accident and they survive. What does this mean? Where is this going? Or we think on 9-11, uh, those of us that were alive on 9-11, we, we, we remember those moments. Uh, what's going to happen next? Where is this leading? Where is this going? We get news from the doctor and we're like, Boy, this is, this is devastating news 
report comes back on our, our medical re, uh, test results. And, and we wonder, what does this mean? Where is this going? I can tell you that when I started getting a spark in my eye and I started liking Jody, and I wanted to be around her all the time and we started dating, I was wondering, what does this mean and where is this going? It's human nature to go, where, what's the movement toward? Where are we moving with this? And some of us begin to come up with the answers. We come up with our own meaning, our own why. And many times we're wrong or there's frustration, especially for those that have experienced loss and grief because there really is no adequate why. And if we come to the wrong conclusions, many people give up. They quit. They can feel devastated. They can abandon the very values that they had lived their life for up to this moment. Others begin to make plans based on inaccurate speculation, which only leads to pain in the end. Now, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. So this is what I want you to consider today as we talk through what I think is very important for every Christian to know. That don't just go by what seems right. And don't just go by what somebody else tells you seems right. Because this path could lead to death. And when it comes to end times things, I read from Matthew 24 last week. And how Jesus talked about the various things. I'll read that text again in a few moments. But the things that are coming, earthquakes and signs and wonders and wars and rumors of wars and all the other things that Jesus mentions that are at the end of times. Those are signs, okay? Now I want you to understand that signs, like physical road signs, signs point us somewhere. They provide info. Sometimes they confirm the distance, they are something that kind of directs us. Are we going in the right direction? Is this where we should be going? How far till we get there? How many have heard little kids say that on a trip? Are we there yet? I heard somebody say it. That's awesome. Are we there yet? And I think, I think as we think of signs, I think you need to be careful or wise about how, how you deal with signs. Because signs are not the destination. You don't pull over on the side of the road, noticing that sign on the side of the road and go, I worship you. All it is is a sign. It's not something to stop at. It's not something to camp out on. It's not something to make a s'more or a fire around. It's just a sign. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's just a sign. Now, the disciples are wondering if Jesus is about to restore Israel's sovereignty and overthrow Rome. And one last time, Jesus must correct their misunderstanding of power. You see, the default for people is that we jump to our own conclusions, assuming that you know where this is going and it can get you in trouble. They did know prophecy, these disciples that asked him the question before Jesus left. But they wanted confirmation for their specific destination and timing. In a sense, they wanted Jesus to confirm their desires. 
Israel had endured all that exile and oppression for hundreds of years. And they wanted to know, is this the Messiah? And is this what it meant? And Jesus' response in verse 7, look at it. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. How many know that's not the answer they were looking for? That's not the answer. You're asking the wrong question, Jesus says. You're seeking the wrong thing. It isn't for you to know the time or the seasons. It's the Father who has fixed or planned by his own authority. It's his decision. And instead of answering their question the way they wanted to, Jesus directs their longing, their focus to the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at the very next verse. What he does direct them towards is the Holy Spirit. Now, put a bookmark in this moment because I want to pull away from that and I'm going to come back to Acts 1-8 in a moment. I want to take a quick look at the end times information that we should be knowing, some basic stuff. See, the scriptures compare the unfolding of the end times to a birthing process. And the implication is that the prophetic labor pains will start with less frequency and less intensity. And before the final battle, which is called Armageddon in the Valley of Megiddo, the birth pains will become greater in both frequency and intensity. We're going to compare two texts today in Matthew chapter 24 and 1 Thessalonians 5. In Matthew chapter 24, Verse 4, I'm reading from the ESV today, the English Standard Version. And it says in verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is what? Not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. So the description is that these prophetic birth pains are mild, less frequent, because they are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, it's been a while, but I remember each of our four boys. And the first one is the baby's coming and Jody's pregnant and I don't know what to do. I'm clueless. And I'm, I'm like, I'm watching my wife's body change and she's getting tired and sometimes she's emotional and we're getting to that moment, and she reaches that moment in time. She's like, I just want to get this baby out. How many moms know what that's like? You understand what? So she wants to get the baby out. And, uh, and she would have these things along the way called Braxton Hicks contractions. And uh, they would be kind of contractions, but not birth pains yet. It was just getting it warmed up. Just getting prepped for weeks. And in the beginning, it would be like, and I'm like, is this it? Do we got to go to the hospital? Or, you know, we got all our, our stuff packed up to throw in the car. Is this the moment? And she goes, I don't know. Maybe it is. 
No, it's not it. So the beginning time is just, it's coming. We know it's coming, but not yet. You're going to see all this stuff. It's coming, but that's not the real ones. She's not really angry yet. She's not about ready to break my finger when she holds my finger yet. She's, she's just in the beginning. That's what Jesus says it's going to be like when you see the signs. Now look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, these particular prophetic contractions are described as more intense and more rapid. And he goes on to describe the wrath and the judgment of God, if you read on in 1 Thessalonians 5. But he gives comfort to believers that we are not the children of darkness or of wrath, but the children of light, and that we must be awake and not spiritually asleep. This last part of birth pains are quick and inescapable. That means when it happens, it's going to speed up. It's going to get more painful because a baby's coming. The water's broke. There's no turning back now. And we don't know, this is why I want you to catch when you hear about signs, is I grew up in a day and age at which there were charts on the wall in church. And there were very specific timelines about when prophecy was going to happen. And, and there were a lot of things that came from the signs that we saw prophetic signs from the scripture, Israel becoming a nation in 1948, all the, the various things happening around the world, and it seemed as though it was moving in that direction. But I have to tell you, as a kid who grew up in the church during that whole era, when the, the Braxton Hicks things were over, and it kind of went, there were no contractions, I started going, well, maybe not. Maybe it's... Maybe it's not the end times. Maybe it's not in, and kind of move on into temporary thinking. But I don't want you today to think that it's not happening. We are probably between the two. And when the next thing happens, you might not have time to get ready. So you have a responsibility to have eyes open to what God is doing in the earth. Not to be afraid when you hear about wars and rumors of wars. And then you can look into other prophetic scriptures and you go into Revelation, it can flip you out if you don't know what you're reading. But there are some nuggets or some previews of a future movie that are in the text that kind of have various snapshots so we don't know how it all exactly fits together. There's going to be one government in the world. 
One monetary system. There's going to be some things happening that you may think it sounds great. Sounds great for security. Sounds great for taking care of people. But meanwhile, all that is is a massive contraction. And it's pushing all of humanity through the birth canal. And on the other end, Jesus is coming back. On the other end, Jesus is coming back. For years, preachers and prophecy teachers have recited the scriptures that I've just read. And there's been much made of the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and the NATO and the EU and all of those things. And some of the information that I've heard ranges from facts to assumptions to total speculation. And we do need to take warnings and, and make sure our heart is right. But ultimately for the church, we're not headed toward fear. We're headed towards restoration and peace and comfort. For on the other end, we're on the winning side, folks. On the other end, Jesus is on the winning side. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But we're also not pawns on a chessboard. Headed towards Armageddon like microscopic specks between gigantic forces of good and evil. God reveals himself in the events of the end times for the purpose of showing us that he has a plan. And you're right in the center of his plan. You are the apple of his eye. And it will always be. And the need to remember that as we reflect on scripture that we relate to the troubled times in which we live. I'm saying these things because I want to take you back to remembering there's a lot of aspects and a lot of tributaries, but at the end, let's go back to what Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven. He says, yeah, those things are going to happen, but let that be in the Father's hands. Now go back to those words. Look at Acts 1 again. I'll start with verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And this, my friends, is no... A fact that no matter how dark, how cataclysmic the events are in the end times, Jesus reveals a great equalizer, a power that's equal to and greater than any force or fear that you may have. In the middle of calamity and nation against nation and pandemics and wars of rumors of wars, in the middle of financial chaos and globally in natural disasters, through the rise of hatred towards the church, right there in the middle of all of that, equal and more to any obstacle is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows how to empower, impart power that will help you thrive in the middle of the end times. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Witness is someone who has viewed the real thing and is willing to live out the ramifications of what you saw. To throw your whole life in it, to believe in it. And the plan is to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When you feel inadequate 
The Holy Spirit knows how to help you become equal to the battles that you face. Let me say that again. When you feel inadequate, Holy Spirit knows how to help you become equal to the battles that you face. It doesn't matter what it is. For some of us, we don't really care what's happening around the world. We're overwhelmed with this week, feeding our kids, putting gas in our car tank. We're overwhelmed with this stuff, the big stuff. Pastor, that, that's really cool. I'm not worried about it. But I want you to know the same principle that I'm talking about with the end times applies to your individual life. That no matter the obstacle that you face, the, the overwhelming nature of it, the frustration, the things that seem uh, unsolvable, the Holy Spirit will empower the, those that wait on him to be and do what God has called you to be and do. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can do this. I mean, look at Peter before Pentecost. Peter had been a fisherman, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus. Then he denies Jesus. Then he goes back to fishing. Then Jesus comes and pulls him back in the game. And it was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, if you kept reading. It was Peter, the failure, that the Holy Spirit empowered to preach the good news. There will be a final judgment. When God says, I'm done... I'm ready to return. And I want you to know that as we move towards that, Jesus isn't stalling because he's not coming back. He's waiting with a purpose. What does it say in 2 Peter 3.9? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The benefit of waiting, look at 2 Peter 3 and verse 15, and remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That's what this is all about. Otherwise, we would have out of here already. He's holding off because people matter to him. And by the way, that's every person on the planet. No matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their skin color is, he's waiting because he cares about the whole world. And finally, in Acts 1, move on with verse 9, it says, And when he had said these things, Jesus had, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? I want you to read this along with me. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. We know this now. We know this ahead of time. What's our response to this information? What's our responsibility with this information? We are to wait, Jesus says, for the Holy Spirit. Waiting 
could be a, a sitting around waiting for a bus, twiddling your thumbs, or waiting could be serving a table in a restaurant as a waiter. Waiting doesn't mean you're stuck and you do nothing. Waiting means you're looking to the one who is given the order. And you're waiting for what they are saying and you're available to them. Holy Spirit gives us the ability to the response. So when we know what we should do, responsibility comes from the Holy Spirit. We have the capacity to do anything and in any circumstance between now and Jesus' return with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In our weakness, he is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. You take your weakness to the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit works through you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. So that power, that's the same power we're talking about here. Young and old need to keep our eyes on Jesus in this hour. Don't get distracted. And if you have been, get your eyes back in the right place. I think we're somewhere in between contraction periods. I don't know exactly where we're at, but there's something going on. But it's going to happen like a thief in the night. It's going to happen quickly. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking into heaven. The same way you saw him go into heaven. Let's look at Jesus. Our eyes have to be on Jesus, looking for him, not letting the signs overwhelm us, not pulling over and getting so consumed by what's going on in life, in end times, or in just our family. While God works in the big, he still remembers the small. So remember to fix your eyes on Jesus. Let your response to life flow from the Holy Spirit. And other forces will seek to influence your heart and life. Let the Holy Spirit give you his fruit. How many need the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody been impatient this week? You need the fruit of the Spirit. Don't draw from something else and don't just use your willpower. Let the Holy Spirit come and give you the Love, joy, and the peace, and the patience, and the kindness, and the gentleness, and the self-control. And then out of that, you can also have insight. You know, there are gifts of the Spirit that we would call power gifts in the church that are specific to whatever circumstance we're in. And he can give you those. But he can also give you the gift of administration. How many of your life needs some administration? Your house is out of order. You need some Holy Spirit order coming in there. Get off my toes, Pastor Nate. <laughs> Lean into the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't miss this. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And even if you didn't have it from your parents, you didn't have somebody guide you in it, the Holy Spirit has everything you need for this moment. And then we must get ready for Jesus' return. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 8, I'm going to read a little lengthy portion here. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, 
and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be perished, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be formed, found to deserve judgment. And since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. Would you stand with me today, church? <laughs> Typically, I'm giving a lot more steps and action steps and all of that to my messages. But today I felt like if I preached the kingdom, the hungry would hear it. If you're a child of God, you know the good shepherd's voice. And then he will speak to us and remind us that we are children of God. Anything else is a lie. And that he would lead us and guide us that we need not be full of fear, but we better be full of his power and his love in this day and age. And then we have a collective point in the future that we're all looking forward to. And it's not temporary, it's eternal. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming for those who have surrendered to him allowed him to be their Lord and Savior. They weren't perfect, but by the grace of God, they surrendered to heaven, believing that Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross for their sin, rose from the dead, and they received his gift of grace, but they surrendered their life to him. It's not just receiving a gift. It's also surrendering your life. And I believe that Jesus is coming back and there is a greater harvest coming. Unfortunately, sometimes harvest includes death. So my concern is in this hour that God would make all of us his witnesses in this hour. That we not be distracted. You have family members that need Jesus. You have people in your community that need Jesus. Don't forget that God has called you to be his witness. Rely on the Holy Spirit to fill you. Don't just go out there and point your finger at the world and it's not Jesus telling you to do it. You know, Jesus will fill you with the Holy Spirit. If, and if he does, you'll have the capacity to love the world around you, not become like the world, but give them hope for a way out. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes in each of our locations today? If you're with us today, under the sound of my voice, you could be joining us online or you're in any one of our locations. This is a moment for you to look to Jesus. If you're here and you're away from Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus came to the earth. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're away from God, 
You don't even have to understand all of theology and all that I'm telling you is the truth. There is only one way to the Father and it's through Jesus. And you need a relationship with him or you need to come back to him. I want to give you that opportunity before we move on in the service. You don't know when Jesus is coming back and may you get ready. I'm giving you an opportunity right now to get ready by surrendering your life to Christ. If that's you, nobody's looking around, but you say, Pastor Nate, that's me. I need to get right with God. I need to surrender him, but just put your hand up in the air. Say, that's me. Yes, 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 yes. 15, 16, 17, 18. Yes, yes. This is the end times, folks. This is what it is. Yes, yes, yes. You can put your hands down. If you lifted your hands or you wanted to or I didn't see it, it doesn't matter. But you need to give your life to Jesus right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. But you got to mean it because this is communication between you and heaven. And I'll give you words to pray, but you're having a separate conversation with God. I'll lead you in this prayer. Just repeat it after me and everybody else you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross for my sin. And then you rose from the dead. And I know that you're alive right now. Today, I surrender to you. Please forgive me of my sin and make me new. I want the old stuff gone and I want the new things to come. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm yours in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Yeah. If you prayed that prayer, just want to encourage you, listen, that means you surrender to heaven. You're going to keep following that voice. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. You're going to follow Jesus. And he will give you his strength and his power. And we want to help you on your journey of following Jesus. Our pastors in each location will have some specific steps in a little bit. But just trust me, it's worth that prayer. We're so proud of you that you said yes to Jesus. In fact, give it up one more time, church, for all of those that gave their life to Jesus. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.